live in response to the mercies of God. He spent Romans 1 through 11 laying out the beautiful realities of the gospel. And now he's continuing to challenge us and put in front of us the ways in which we're called to live. uh, And that we actually have a responsibility now as those who have been saved, justified, united with God, made alive, been brought from death to life have now a responsibility to live out our lives in certain ways. And so this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, a, a passage that in some ways is relatively simple, uh, but oftentimes simple passages or simple challenges can be incredibly difficult to actually live out. And so this morning, Paul's really going to get into a little bit of the, not like crazy into the weeds of some of the stuff that the church in Rome is dealing with as far as uh, different backgrounds and how diverse this church was and how even they had problems like judging one another and considering certain values more important and certain secondary issues more important and sometimes even dividing. And that's bound to happen when a lot of different people come together. It's, a lot, it's bound to happen. Rome is a melting pot. Rome has so many different people types who are there. And I don't know about you guys. I don't know the last time you found yourself in a situation where you were around a group of people who were very different than you. Uh, a group of people who were uh, either looked different or sounded different or maybe grew up in a different way or maybe believed something different. I'll never forget the first time I went to Nepal, and uh, it is an amazing country, by the way. You come to land, and they're like, get ready for landing, and uh, you're like, okay, we got time or whatever, and then it's a little bit freaky because Mount Everest is right there on your right as they like say we're beginning our descent. Uh, it's a little bit weird uh, to just have a mountain next to you. You're used to it all being down below you, uh, but that's where Nepal is. It is this beautiful country, amazing mountains, amazing people, really amazing food. Just don't ask what's in it, but it tastes great. Um, bathroom situation, not so much, um, but the country in and of itself, amazing. I'll never forget the first time I went into the church, a church there, uh, in, which is basically just a concrete rectangle. Uh, there's no furniture. Uh, there is uh, almost no decoration. There are uh, a pile of shoes outside, which might be strange for us, but anytime you went inside, you took off your shoes, not because you were trying to create a holy space, but you were trying to keep the yuckiness that was on your shoes outside of the church. Uh, And then you were excited to come into a building to try and get away from snakes. But there, it was interesting because there also was this, there was this, like like we have an aisle right here. There's an aisle that's going down the center of the church building. Uh, And, uh, church rectangle. Uh, And on the left-hand side is where The women sat, and on the right side was where men sat, and everybody sat on concrete floor. You guys should be grateful for these nice, puke-looking, cushy chairs. Uh, But it was fascinating to me because we had men on the left and women on the right. Uh, And you might think that that's not like that big of a deal, but it it was very different for me. I, I came in, and I started thinking to myself internally. I didn't dare speak any of this outside, but I just thought to myself, why are you separated? Like, biblically, do you need to have men on the left side and women on the right side? Is there, like, are we, like, mixing things too much? Or is it, like, 
Why do you, why do, you do that? And I could have come in as the you know, amazing Westerner that I am and said, hey, you need to stop doing all of this because this is getting in the way of your freedoms. You don't have to do that. You guys could worship God more freely if you just, you know, got rid of this aisle. But then, sure enough, as soon as the music started, which wasn't that good, and neither was their singing, these voices erupted in worship and praise and adoration of their king. It's so fascinating because Here's this situation, and I know it's silly, but biblically there's, re- there's no reason why we, need, we would have to have a line just in case everybody, is, is that in the Bible somewhere? No, it's not. You don't need a line down the middle and men on one side, women on another. You don't need that. But I had the option of making this small thing a, a maybe bigger deal or sitting back and trusting and realizing, oh, maybe it's okay for things to be done a little bit differently, especially if we worship and serve the same Lord. Is it okay to be a little bit different? And Paul is going to help us engage with that a little bit this morning. So let's open to Romans 14, 1 through 2, excuse me, 1 through 12. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? If before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord, and the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother, or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Father, we ask that you would teach us this morning. Holy Spirit, would you speak through me? Engage with our hearts now. Lead us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So for those of you who like summaries, I'm going to give you one that you can hold on to. You know, put it on a pillow. If you want a summary for this passage... Don't be an arrogant, stick-up-your-butt, overconfident know-it-all who makes others feel insignificant or less than or inferior. Jesus saved us and justifies us. And each of us will have to give an account of ourselves before God in the end.
We don't have to look very far to recognize that quarrels, arguments, divisions are all over the place these days. And some might believe they're over really, really important things, and they might be important things. But are they the most important thing? And Paul, in our passage this morning, addresses two areas that are actually really important. One being Sabbath and one being food laws. And if you are an OT scholar, like Sabbath is like a really, really big deal, so much so that people were potentially put to death if they didn't obey and abide by Sabbath. It is a big deal. But nevertheless, Paul's big picture here is if Jesus, this is all in context of the reality that you have been justified. And if you have been justified through Jesus, we too cannot just be in union with the Father, we can be in union with one another because of Jesus' work on the cross. And Paul is writing to a group of Christians that need to be reminded to not let little things become big things. Or little's even the wrong word because these aren't little things. These are actually meaty issues. They're like issues that people will get like a bee in their bonnet over. But he's still challenging followers of Jesus to be willing to lay aside their convictions. And he never says their convictions don't matter but to make sure that they don't get in the way of unity, that they don't get in the way of you fellowshipping with somebody who is different than you. Because ultimately, we serve the same master and we'll have to answer to him as well. (laughs) Paul starts this passage with how to engage with other brothers and sisters in the faith who are weak or who are weak in the faith, or or different than you. Weak is actually probably not the best term here. It's a differentiator that Paul is using, but this weak isn't a quantitative, it's not a quantitative thing. It's not like Paul is identifying one person's faith as better than the other. But Paul starts at the very beginning of this with welcome him or her. Welcome the one who is weak in the faith. We can very easily overlook this. But this is connected to some core realities of the gospel which Paul spent 11 chapters laying out. That all have fallen short of the glory of God and that at just the right time Christ died for us. And he has given us a spirit of adoption in which we cry, Abba, Father, And if God welcomes us into his family, full of dirt and grime, sin and fault, we ought to be able to welcome one another in. Paul is reminding a really diverse group of believers in Rome that they need to welcome one another. We need to welcome each other who are different. I'm curious, when you guys hear the phrase, welcome one another, what sort of things would that entail? This is is back and forth time for a moment. Or maybe if you were to be welcomed by somebody, what, what do you think that would look like? What does welcoming somebody mean? What does it look like? Okay, a hug. 
What does a hug require? Opening up, sure. Arms, presence, embodied presence, actually uh, physical closeness. Have to be next to somebody, okay. What else does it, would it look like to welcome somebody? Speak their language would be helpful. What? An invitation to your home? Yeah, great. Get to know them. If you're welcoming somebody into your home, what sort of things would you do? Feed them. Awesome. Love on them. Great. Uh, anything else you might do? Smile. I know some of you in here maybe are, are a little bit bashful. So, some of you would like not just feed them. You would make sure to prepare like a, a good meal for them. Like you would follow a, a recipe or you would make sure that as they walk into the house that there is like an aroma that is coming forward, whether that be from a food or maybe a candle or maybe a, a wood stove that's burning. You would be intentional about that person knowing that you are glad that they are there. You'd be intentional that they knew where things like the bathroom were. You'd be intentional with them. And we will get more into this later in chapter 15. But this invitation to welcome one another, it's one of the reasons why we have family time every Sunday. Is because we want to create opportunities for people to know that they are made in God's image. And that they are to be known loved and that they can belong. We were to welcome one another, to show hospitality. And Paul kind of highlights some things that get in the way of welcoming somebody. Generally, when you're welcoming somebody into your home, I would imagine that your first question isn't going to be something along the lines of, hey, what did you think about COVID? Or, who did you vote for at the last election? Or, hey, explain to me your views of predestination. Or, hey, do you believe in a young earth or an old earth? Or, hey, what do you think about women in ministry? Or, hey, those are not generally lead outs with welcoming somebody in. Now, maybe you're a special breed and you're like, actually, I would love that. Let's go. But he says, welcome us, welcome people in, welcome the weak in the faith, and not quarrel over opinions. We read in Timothy about living this quiet and gentle life that's supported here. This call from Paul is to welcome and not be quarrelsome, not be argumentative, not be one who is easily triggered doesn't mean we don't stand up for the truth. Paul has spent 11 chapters establishing the truth of the gospel. It matters. Paul will kick people's buns in Galatia for abandoning that truth. But there's a difference between major core tenets of the faith, like being justified through Jesus, that we are all sinners in desperate need of God's grace, 
and that we need to be baptized and that we ought to now join the family of God and walk as sons and daughters empowered by the Spirit. Those are all core things that Paul has taught about. And we'll hold on to those, but he is not going to hold on to other secondary issues. In this passage, we see that welcoming doesn't mean 100% agreement. But also, welcoming doesn't include judgment. Welcome includes trusting Jesus as Lord and judge over all. I can leave things up to him and at times lay aside my personal preference and or conviction. doesn't mean you don't get to have them. It means that you won't divide over them. This is hard to do. This is really, really hard to do. Because there are certain things that maybe you're really excited about and you might be really passionate about. And sometimes it's difficult. Like, I, I don't know if you've ever talked to somebody who's like really, like I'm not a car person. I have, I've been in conversation, a few of them, because people soon realize I'm not really into cars, so it's hard for me to get like super excited. Like Lucas at a season of time was talking to me about, oh, did you see that Ferrari? Or did you see that thing? Or did you see? And it's like, I don't care. Like it's not. It's not my thing. I'm not passionate about it. And there's some people who can feel that way about certain theological issues where they get so passionate, so caught up, that it starts to become the main thing. So Paul kind of starts to talk to us about how do we engage with people when we have such strong convictions that are different. I'm going to try and bust through this. And because some of this is simple. We've, so we've got a few issues that Paul is dealing with. The first one is that we're dealing with food issues, okay? We're dealing with dietary restrictions. And big picture is that those who were coming from a Jewish tradition or Jewish Christians, not just Jewish Christians, but sometimes, um, they believed that they needed to follow a strict kosher diet, eat no pork, any of those things. And so they believed that it was important, even as a follower of Jesus, to abide by these convictions, to abide by these dietary laws. One of the things that you will see in this passage is that Paul never says they should abandon that. He never says stop eating vegetables only and just eat meat, or he doesn't say that. Because Paul believes what he wrote the chapter before when he says outdo one another in showing honor to each other. Even though Paul himself believes that it's perfectly fine to eat meat. Because Jesus is Lord of all. But he's not going to make a massive, divisive deal out of it. He's not going to make somebody who holds a conviction about eating, not eating meat. He's not going to force them to stop doing that. And he sure as heck is not going to let that person think that they are less of a Christian. Because they've chosen to abstain from eating meat. So we have one issue there where people are coming together. And this, these are issues because they're eating meals together on a regular basis. This is what the church did as they gathered. They would come together and they would eat meals and they would have common meals. And some people would be eating meat. Some people wouldn't be eating meat. If you were at that table and you believed that somebody was, 
you could fall into believing that if somebody ate the meat, that they were being sinful. And if somebody didn't eat the meat, you'd be like, you don't trust God. You don't believe that he's really Lord and Savior overall. Could you see how this could fester and potentially create a little bit of tension and eventually cause some things to pop? And so the issue at hand is you've got people who believe, no, it's still important to abide by these dietary restrictions. You've got others who are saying, no, Jesus is Lord of all. And because he's Lord of all, he's not, he doesn't just redeem us from our sins. He actually redeems and is in the process of redeeming and restoring re- creation. And we are able to engage and eat with and to enjoy all that he has created. And so Paul's saying both of these people can walk in these practices and be holy and faithful and beneficial parts to our community. Paul would lean towards freedom and being able to eat, but he's not going to force somebody else who says, no, I I still want to hold on to this. And the key distinctive factor in it is that each of these people that Paul is highlighting are choosing to honor God by abstaining from food. And the other is trying to honor God by eating the food. Both of these people could be in giant error if the purpose isn't to honor God in their choices. And so that matters. The other issue that Paul is facing is Sabbath. This one is a little bit weightier. I'm glad that this is in here. Because food laws, people might treat like, oh, that's kind of like not a big deal, really. Like, that's important, but not that important. And it's a bigger deal than we have time to get into. These are both weighty issues within the Jewish context growing up. But Sabbath is kind of bigger, a lot bigger. Jesus, Jesus seems to practice Sabbath. Paul most certainly has a practice that leans towards practicing Sabbath, which is reserving the sixth day. Uh, that on the seventh day they rested, so Saturday was to be a day of no work. But what's fascinating here is Paul talks about how we have both sets here. We have some who engage in practicing Sabbath, and then we have some who say, no, all days are holy and set aside. And actually, though Sabbath might be a neat day, there's, there's nothing inherently better about Saturday than there is the rest of the days, for Jesus is Lord of all. He is the Lord of all days, for this is the day that the Lord has made, not just Sunday or not just Saturday, all days. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And so here, Paul would lean towards practicing Sabbath on a personal side. We know this is Paul's practice and discipline, and even Jesus followed this practice and discipline, and we're not going to get into it. I would encourage, I think this is part of how God has designed humanity to operate and to flourish But even here, Paul is saying, this is not worth dividing over. He's hoping that people will be convinced in their own mind that they will have a conscience, that they will have thought about it, they will have prayed about it, and that they have made a choice to say, okay, I'm either going to practice Sabbath or I'm I'm not going to. I'm going to view all days as sacred and holy unto the Lord. Or I'm going to engage with Sabbath and I'm going to do it on purpose, not just for vacation, but because God has designed us this way. And I'm going to honor the Lord in that choice. And what Paul is really getting at in this section is making sure that whether you abstain from Sabbath or you abide by Sabbath or whether you eat that food or you don't eat that food, what he cares about is what you're doing to your brothers and sisters around you. 
Because what happens when people become convicted is that they think people who don't have those same convictions are just a little bit lower than they are. If you were holy like me, you wouldn't eat that meat. If you were really a good Christian, you would make sure to practice Sabbath. And now all of the sudden we have these weights and scales and all of the sudden we have these people who are more valuable or more special Christians than others. And Paul says, that is not the place of the church. We each have fallen short of the glory of God. And the chasm that existed between us and Jesus was massive because of the sin in which we partook. And Jesus took upon flesh, was crucified, blood was shed, was raised to the newness of life, and those who put their trust in him now are brought into relationship, into union with him. If God is able to close that gap between that chasm between us and him, which was massive, it puts all of us on an equal playing field, dependent upon Jesus. And Paul is wanting to take away any sort of chasms that might start to exist between each other in our relationship with one another as the church continues to grow. And naturally, that's what happens. There starts to become a hierarchy of sorts of Christian superstars. And what I like what Paul is highlighting here is it tends to start in small spaces like this by brothers and sisters beginning to pass judgments on one another on issues that are secondary rather than practicing welcoming one another and honoring one another. Paul ultimately goes on, and the worship team, you guys can come on up. Paul ultimately goes on to say, look, why do we not worry about judging one another? We don't need to worry about judging one another because in the end, Jesus is our judge. That just as we didn't have to worry about avenging ourselves, just as we didn't have to worry about returning evil for evil, we now get to trust that Jesus, who is king and who is judge, he can handle these secondary issues, and I can lay them down. I can let go. But if you're anything like me, truly letting go of small things is really hard. Some of you, and sometimes me, can be so doggone committed to being right that you can't let anything go. And I guarantee you there is not a single person in this room that's 100% right on all things. Sometimes your commitment to being right puts a brother or sister down over something that may not be as significant as you think it is.
Don't pass judgment on one another. Don't pass judgment on a brother or sister. It's so easy to say, but if you, friends, me, if we stop and think and ask the Lord to search our heart on this area, the amount of small judgments that we pass on one another is pretty massive. And sometimes they're just pure evil. Sometimes it's just gossip. Sometimes it's stuff that we truly need to repent of. And other times it's like your personal niche conviction that you are really passionate about this thing or that thing. And somebody doesn't share that. And so all of a sudden that person gets a notch lower on your list of people you care about, people you like, people you'll walk with. You see, one day every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And those tongues are going to come from every tribe and nation and Paul's trying to prepare the church to say church be ready to welcome one another in because we're going to be different sometimes those differences are going to be like do you like your tri-tip medium well or medium rare it's got just if you it's medium rare (laughs) just in case And sometimes it's going to be more significant depending on what your thing is. Like maybe it's going to be somebody who's like an old earth Big Bang creationist. You're like, just seven day pure only. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And there's going to be these things that boil up in you and you're you're going to want to say, no, you're wrong. And I'm just curious how much the Lord is trying to say, hey, son or daughter, will you trust me as a good judge? You don't have to pass judgment on your brothers or sisters. Again, if we're talking about the core tenets of what has been taught through Romans 1 through 11, we do need to speak up. We need to, we need to talk, and we need to make sure we're declaring the truth, 100%. But I wonder if we became a people who are more focused on welcoming than being doggone right all the time. How different the church might look. And I'm really grateful that though I'm not 100% right about everything, I've got a king who is, who I can trust, and who I can ask to help me not be so doggone judgmental. Because that's not a fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> it's one that creates little bubbles that might eventually create a pop or an explosion within the church. And Paul loves the church. And he loves Jesus. So church, let us be a, a church that welcomes And also let's be a people who are willing to turn and ask the Holy Spirit to help us in the areas where judgmentalism, gossip, hierarchy, pieces of certain Christians being more valuable than others. I just want to see that destroyed. Let us grow in welcoming one another as we have been welcomed by our King. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to engage with you and your word this morning. 
Sometimes some of these passages that are fairly simple about not judging each other, and though there's complexities within them, when it comes to actually living them out and to engaging with them, it's challenging. Lord, I just like to leave it like in a distant space of, yeah, people shouldn't be judgmental. But God, I just ask by your spirit and your grace, you say that your kindness leads us to repentance, that you would allow us to see, are there areas where this needs work in my life? Would we heed your call to the church in Rome to not cast judgment on one another? Would you help us trust Jesus with the outcome as a good judge? And God, help us welcome one another. Help prepare us to welcome those who aren't here yet. And we just praise you, rejoice, and delight, Jesus, that though we were once far off, at just the right time, Christ died for us. And that now we don't have to beg you, but we are welcomed into your family where you put your coat around us, you throw a feast for us, not because we have earned it or deserve it, but because you are a good father who loves and cares and lavishes. We're so grateful that you've welcomed us in, O King. Continue to be with us as we worship now. In Jesus' name.